This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarterbin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 72nd episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, we're looking at Birds of Prey number 39 from DC Comics, cover dated March 2002. But that is for later. First, we have some feedback. I'm going to cover feedback for the April Fool's episode on Bloodlines. If you didn't know that that was an April Fool's episode, then maybe I failed. Anyway, I got good comments on the episode, encouragements, and thumbs up from Clinton Robinson, Luke Giaconetti, Jason Trenner, the Sutherlands, and Zeb Oswald. Neil Stanifer was kind enough to mention the episode on a Facebook post about April Fool's episodes. Christopher Willette thanked me for letting him be a part of the episode. Is there any way that you could imply that you paid me gobs and gobs of money so it sets up a precedent when the droves of podcasts blow up my phone begging me to do intro spots for all their shows? Well, I like to be transparent with my listeners. So yes, I did indeed pay Chris 2500 Bloodlines bucks. You can check the internet for the current exchange rate. But I wanted to spend some time here on some of the specific feedback that replied in the spirit of the episode, if you will. Ryan Daly, Count Drunkula, wrote in, I didn't think you could ever top episode 35. And then you went and dropped an Eddie and the Cruisers reference. Great work as always, Alan M. Fellow network member Mark Sweeney from the I'm the Gun blog and podcast also commented, Though I'm sure it was hardly any effort at all, you did this material extreme justice. Can't wait for episode 42. Thank you, Mark. I'm probably going to be releasing episode 42 via U.S. mail, so you should probably just go sit right by that mailbox until you get the next episode. I do feel bad because that episode totally let down Daniel Butcher. Hook hand? He wrote in. Yes, he's Aquaman, right? No, he's the Hook. Way cooler. I mean, has Aquaman ever been in a major motion picture? Hello. And Shag also wrote in. You know him from those posters tacked up at your local post office. Alan M., another fine episode celebrating the best event ever. A few random thoughts. One, 10,000 foot level? What the heck is that? Never use that phrase again. It sounds stupid. A waste of airtime. Number two, love that tangent promo. I recall hearing it before, but it still cracks me up. Yes, I, I actually was lucky that I had two April Fool's relevant promos for the episode. Three, in regard to the eventual live-action Bloodlines film franchise, let's get real. They need to go big or go home. If they don't cast Eric Roberts as loose cannon, then why bother even making the films? Seriously. Number four. Hooray for Argus. Argus and Geist are two of my favorite Bloodlines characters. I mean, they're no razor sharp in the cyber rats, but then again, who is? And five. I really appreciate your continued enthusiasm for this comic series, but I was surprised during the episode that you didn't use your usual catchphrase even once. I missed you bellowing, Extreme Team! Did you skip it? to see if anyone would notice, like part of an April Fool's Day joke or something. Another great episode. Look forward to the eight-part deep dive into Jam. And when is that long-promised Gunfire and Chimera shipper special coming out? The irrefutable Shag. Can't argue with any of that, Shag. Great points. Kind of makes me wonder who actually wrote the email. And from Pop Culture Affidavit, I heard from Tom Panaris. Alan M., I wanted to write in and commend you 
on your excellent coverage of the Flash and Green Arrow portions of Bloodlines. This landmark event has been reviewed and discussed so many times in our pop culture that it's, it's hard to put one's unique spin on it. And you've succeeded at that and more. Bloodlines was a series that, thankfully, I was on the ground floor of when, when it premiered. I was only a high school student at the time, but I knew how important this was going to be. So I decided to forego reading Reign of the Supermen and Mark Wade's run on The Flash so I could buy the two copies of this that my LCS would allow, as well as the maximum limit of five that American Comics slash Entertainment this month allowed because it was a red-hot comic. I kept them well protected, eventually had them all slabbed, which proved to be a great choice because I recently sold multiple copies of all the comics in the best event ever as well as my five copies of all of the parts of the Force Works Extreme Justice crossover from 95. The money I got was enough to build up a significant amount in my son's college fund, and I can happily say that we can easily afford it when Harvard comes calling. I'm looking forward to the next chapter in your excellent coverage. Keep up the great work. All the best, Tom Panaris. Thank you, Tom. And I'm just glad that that wise investment plan of yours really paid off. And I got an email from a longtime listener, The Confounder 3. Wow. Wow. Nothing else but that can really describe the sheer power of the latest episode. Some might say that extreme is not a good description of this latest episode, and, and I agree because it was extreme. I've been on board for the podcast since episode 12. Your analysis of how Eclipso was a metaphor for the oppression of the homeless still brings me to tears for its sheer beauty. But I've been waiting so much for this episode. Flash Annual 6 was one of those defining comments of my entire life. Well, not even comics, but really life events. It completely changed the way I thought about storytelling, life, love, what it means to be a hero and who the real blood-sucking aliens who occasionally grant superpowers in today's society really are. Your coverage is radical, as always, and it's always a joy to see these comics through a fresh pair of eyes and discover new things. Ah, that first reveal of Argus. It still takes my breath away. You know, I looked up at my collection of Argus figures on my wall, my Argus poster, my Argus morph suit, in my Argus lawn ornament on the front yard. I love it. You know, it's funny he mentioned that lawn ornament. I was very close to ordering that myself from SkyMall. I was headed out to Vegas for Bloodlines of Con 2008. I was a guest of honor, and my wife was actually traveling with me, but she wouldn't let me buy the lawn ornament. Dames, you know? But back to the email. I remember, and I know I've shared this story before, but I just have to do it again. When my fiancé told me on the eve of our wedding that she only thought Bloodlines was okay, that was it. During the wedding, I had to say I, I couldn't do it. Left her at the altar, knowing I could not tie myself to someone who did not care about Bloodlines as much as I do. Still, with my Bloodlines connection, what else do I really need? You know, Confounder, I remember you telling me that story in person when we met at Bloodlines of Con 2011. And then when CNN heard about it and put you in their Bloodlines anniversary special. Heartbreaking stuff. I'll post that YouTube link in the show notes. Back to his email. About the Bloodlines movies, I'm excited but cautiously so. With the Youngblood movie proving Hollywood can do tremendous adaptations of comics, I'm somewhat excited. However, as we saw with the previous adaptation of Superman, no mullet, really Hollywood, they can be pretty pants, too. Like you, I feel since Bloodlines is just such a well-known and beloved story, they will try to add new elements to make it more unexpected, which, let's be honest, could only ruin the perfect blend of action scenes, aliens, explosions, spinal fluid sucking, pouches, shoulder pads, and everything that makes Bloodlines the best event ever. 
I'm so sorry that this note is so short because there's so much more I could write about. I haven't even delved into the Green Arrow. But I can suppose I can write more on the future, more analytical episodes. Thank you and good afternoon, The Confounder. Ah, oh, you're welcome, buddy. Like I always say, if my episodes can even approach the quality of the underlying Bloodlines comics, I've done my job. I want to mention that I put that April Fool's episode together before we brought in Diablo Frank to participate. Since he has actually blogged about Bloodlines before, it seemed only right to include him. And he also did an April Fool's episode, although as he said in typical Diablo Frank style, his April Fool's joke was to do his episode straight. He claims that he'll continue to put out related content on his DC Bloodlines feed. So check that out, if you dare. Thanks for all the feedback, guys. It is a treat to receive it. But enough about that. We've got a comic book to cover. Sadly, it's it's not a Bloodlines book. But at least there will be a guest. Hello, friend. This is Christopher Willette with a very important safety message for you. Beware of monsters. Yes, friend, beware of monsters. International best-selling author Jeremy Robinson, along with BewareOfMonsters.com, feel this message is so important they've commissioned me to start a podcast to get the word out. Please, beware of monsters. Each week... The Beware of Monsters podcast will speak with experts and authors on the subject of monsters, monsters of literature, of film, of comic books, of video games, monsters from everywhere. Beware of Monsters. You can find more information in your iTunes or podcatcher searches. Beware of Monsters. This podcast is in its infancy, but you can join now and watch it grow like a mad experiment in a secret lab in an underground bunker somewhere in New England as it gets out of control, destroying all around it in its quest to control the world! Friends, beware of monsters. Each week, presented by Jeremy Robinson. BewareOfMonsters.com And we're back. And usually, when I say we, I mean myself and my piles and piles of quarters. But this time, I'm joined on the show for the very first time by a womanish female, an actual person of ladiness. From the excellent podcast, Batgirl to Oracle, it's Barbara Gordon's best friend on the internet, Ms. Stella. Thank you. And you can also call me Professor Allen because I'm Professor Allen. And you can trust me because I always spend a quarter on my comics. I think that impression was <laughs> insulting, <laughs> condescending, and accurate. Yes, that's what I was going for, all of those things. (laughs) No, it's wonderful to be on this show. There are several shows that I have a deep respect and regard for, and I feel like I will never get to sort of that podcasting level and and deserve to be on there, and this is one of those shows. So when you asked me to be on here, I was was very humbled and honored, so thank you. Well, very glad to have you here. Thank you. Stella was kind enough to have me on Batgirl to Oracle, (laughs) episode 114. So I just wanted to return the Southern hospitality. Thank you. And uh, I looked through the Quarterbin database, and what do you know? There was a Birds of Prey book. So I know you answer this question regularly, (laughs) but why is Barbara Gordon your favorite comic book character? Just like Batman has countless origin stories, we always have to see Bruce Wayne's parents die, I think. (laughs) You know, as podcasting hosts, At least once, maybe twice. You know, we should be regularly called upon to, to talk about this. I had been aware, of course, of, of Batman mostly and Robin a little bit. But when I first 
was introduced to Barbara Gordon, I found her like a very intriguing character, and it was through Batman the Animated Series. And then one summer I was laid up because I had uh, surgery on one of my feet, and I was just looking for some reading to do, and I ended up getting Batgirl Year One. I absolutely felt – oh, absolutely. Uh, I recommend it to everyone, and I don't think anyone that I've recommended it to has come back been, and been disappointed. Not only is that just a wonderful and beautiful story, but it, it so captures the heart of who that character is, and I just love that character so much because of it. I think, you know, in the Marvel Universe, uh, Peter Parker's always talked about as being the everyman. And I think for me and for the DC Universe, I think that Barbara Gordon is very much an every woman because she's not like Wonder Woman or Supergirl. And those are people that you can certainly look up to. But I think Barbara it has so much strength just in her ability to stand apart from men. She's not defined by the, the people that she hangs out with. She's intelligent. Uh, she is beautiful, but she's not like overly, you know, sexualized. So I think she's just the perfect character to really look up to. And as I was reading Batgirl Year One, I just thought to myself, this is the type of girl that like I would love to have as a sister or be best friends with. And so I think it's just that approachability to the character that that I really love and and now that I've been following her journey since she first hopped on the scene in the Silver Age up to now such depth to her history and just really getting to know her the ups and the downs and everything and all the cast that surrounds her I've really grown to appreciate the character and it's just been such a special journey for me as I do this podcast and she's a librarian and library people are cool that they are that they are now, if it comes down to this, okay, Babs as Batgirl, mm-hmm. Babs as Oracle, your choice. Whew! Yeah, it's an ever, <laughs> it's an ever present question, and I think before I got to the the Oracle run, I would have said Batgirl, but I realize now reading Oracle, especially when I was in the Suicide Squad and before that, when you don't even know who she is. Um, she had more of an impact on the DC universe as Oracle than she did as Batgirl. And I think that's true. Yeah. And and she grew in confidence as well. And, um, there are so many wonderful moments of her also just having really bad days of like hating Mm. being in that chair and feeling like she's letting people down or just hating her life. And I think, again, just that approachability and be like, well, yeah, that's true. That's what someone, that's how it would be. But the fact that all these heroes can go to her and all these people look up to her and her relationship with Cassandra Cain, when you read, you know, that Batgirl run is just really beautiful. So I would say that as Oracle, I think she does have a have a greater impact. And I actually let slip one time over at the Batman universe. We did like a rank the Batgirls. Oh, I listened to that one. Oh, and and I think I shocked. I know I shocked audiences, audiences everywhere by saying that I think, you know, Stephanie Brown is is probably my favorite Batgirl. And one of the reasons why was just how I think that relationship between her and Barbara is sort of her handler and just how that team came together. I think she really made it her own because sometimes the cow helps you grow as a person, which I think it really did for Stephanie. She became her own person. She was not spoiler anymore, annoying people. But for Barbara, I think it was it was almost getting in that chair and figuring out that, you know, I can't be Batgirl anymore. I still want to help. I need to use the, the faculties that I still have and help people. So it's, it's it's taken me years to get to this place. But I would say that Oracle is probably the, the best path for uh, it really has. It really has. It's best. amazing. The, she's been around almost 50 years. Yeah. And it's basically been 25 years as each character. Right. Not very yep. close to it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you think about how evenly split her time has been, yep. as as Oracle and as Batgirl, and I think for me it's maybe a matter of when the characters were created, sort mm-hmm. of a '60s character and having some of those tropes, as opposed to an '80s or '90s character. Mm-hmm. I think just Oracle just seems to be the more modern of the characters, and so I think you said important, and I think you know significant. I just think she's a as Oracle is a really significant character, mm-hmm. one Absolutely. of the more significant characters to come out of that area is being female, mm-hmm. being handicapped, and and whatever your feelings on the Killing Joke are, mm-hmm. it did lead to Oracle. 
It did, yeah. So there's and, and I, uh, something yeah. at least redemptive in that story, if, if, oh. if nothing else, right? And, and, you know, kudos, honestly, to – and, like, major props. I don't even know how big the kudos could be. But to, to Ostrander, uh, John Ostrander and yes. Kim Yale for taking such a broken and really tragic storyline and turning her into such a strong character. Because who would have looked at that, you know, the killing joke and how Barbara was then and feeling like she could have done anything after that. But they did such a wonderful job. So, yeah, all the props go to them for sure. <laughs> Actually, before I had read Suicide Squad, I was aware of um, Birds of Prey. Around that summer, I also became more aware of Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson's relationship. So I went on this weird, like, shipper hunt. So you search for <laughs> comics that are 25 cents, and I was searching for comics that there was some sort of romantic interaction between Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson. And so I was getting some random Nightwing issues, and then there was sort of this holy grail Birds of Prey number eight, which is super hard to find. It's really expensive. And I think that was actually the first Birds of Prey issue that I got. I think I shelled out like $30. It'd probably be worth way more now. I think I've seen it for 80 So I was aware of like this group of women that were around uh, before I had read Suicide Squad. But I haven't touched it because I sort of read once I got the whole collection because I, I had to find it from different places. I started reading. I think I only got uh, maybe 44 or so, and then I stopped. And so I'm going to have to start up again, of course, because I'm going chronologically. As we were communicating about this particular issue, you revealed the shocking fact uh-huh. that you have this book in your collection. I do. So would, would, would this have been one that you – so you, you wouldn't have bought it when it came out. No. This would be a run of Birds of Prey that you came to sort of in that yep. later stage of life. Yes. Yeah. I have the full run of this uh, particular, I guess this is technically volume two of Birds of Prey. Yeah. Or is it volume? Yeah. Because there were like too many series. So this may be like two or three. <laughs> right. um, and it took a while to get it. And I actually had a friend that had a great chunk of it and I bought it off of him and he said it. And this was in that chunk. So, yeah. So I don't think I, I probably paid more than uh, 25 cents. <gasps> Because I know I I didn't want to. Well, you don't want to cheat a friend if he's going to give you. That's true. How about this? We'll say Uh you bought the rest of the run, and he threw in this one for free. Okay, that sounds. How about that? Can we? Is is that that way I can keep you on the show? (laughs) That's fine. Now, again, you've talked about this on your show. I know people could just listen to your show instead of listening to this. Mm -hmm. But talk about just your views on sort of the treatment of Babs in the current although soon to be ending new oh. f- new 52 era and i think uh you may have just revealed some of your thoughts right there <laughs> oh well you said, I mean, well the fact that it's ending i don't even know what's going on with rebirth to be honest um i just don't know what the, the word means it seems My like thought. babs was one yeah. of the characters in the new 52 that not quite as bad as wally wester and others at least she was there but yeah yeah i agree yeah I, I don't know if there's ever going to be an answer. You know, should you as a fan just be happy that your character is there? Or do you need that always, that character to be written well? Or would it be better for that character not be there or have it written poorly? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think the first thing that was sad is that we went from an amazing run by Brian Q. Miller, um, just an amazing, you know, team Batgirl where you had Wendy as proxy. And, and Barbara was there, Wes at the end, and then Stephanie Brown. And then, you know, the news of New 52 is that, you know, Stephanie doesn't even exist in this universe. <laughs> Wendy's, of course, not there. And now Barbara Gordon is is back as Batgirl. I didn't have as much of a problem with, with Barbara being back as Batgirl. You know, if you're going to have a Batgirl and you're going to start from the beginning, why not it be Barbara Gordon? Because she's sort of the one I think that we think of. Um, some people will say Betty Kane, but you know, if you're looking for the beginning of a line, then maybe Barbara Gordon would be the way to go. I just was filled with questions of, you know, how much of her past is she retained? Because that was a big thing of New 52 is that everything is still in continuity somehow or just like kind of starting over. It wasn't a reboot, but it was. It was very confusing. Unfortunately, I did not like the beginning of her era, issues one through 34. And I'm sad to say it was it was all of Gail Simone's run. And I've seen Gail Simone do wonderful work on other books. So I'm not really sure what had happened. 
But this was just a darker title than I think it should have been. The, the Bat Family books are often plagued with really dark titles just because, you know, it's Batman and it needs to be dark. But there should be, I think, some lighter elements to the titles. And I think Batgirl is one of those because she normally is more optimistic than Bruce Wayne is. So I was disappointed with that. And then, you know, it was announced that she was off and we were getting this new team, uh, the Batgirl team with uh, Brendan Fletcher and Cameron Stewart and Bad Star. You know, you're getting the preview images and she had made her own suit, uh, sort of hipster. You get rumblings that she's DH slightly. So, you know, there's still some nervousness there. I had met the team. They had sort of this impromptu meeting at San Diego Comic-Con to talk to them, ask some questions. And just the fact that they, they knew Barbara Gordon's history and how they were talking about it and, and their plans and everything. I really trusted them. And I think it was a completely different book. And it, it was lighter, which I loved. And I think it really got back to the, the basics of who Barbara Gordon was. Not to say that it was a perfect run. There were certainly some characteristics of her that I didn't necessarily approve of. But I, I think uh, I've really been enjoying this like 35 to 50, I guess we are now, run. And I'm sad to see this team leave, and I don't know where it's going next. So do um, you have thoughts, hopes, expectations, dreams, and aspirations ooh, about yeah. the state of Barbara, Batgirl, Oracle, the birds yeah. in the upcoming DC it's Rebirth? As yeah. new, news has just sort of slowly been trickling out. You know, there's a new writer, and, and I don't I don't really know of her, so I can't make any judgments. And, and I can only come in cautiously optimistic. But when a tagline says that she has gone to Japan to find herself, I get a little concerned. Um, number one, I think right away of like Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Yeah. So I'm a little disappointed about that. You know, it's unfair to tell any writer that you need to keep doing the exact same thing. Right. Uh, so I, I totally get that. But I hope that she writes, Hope Larson, I hope she writes in the same spirit that Team Beckerl previous to her was doing and just that it is more of a positive and uplifting book while i love shipping i don't want barbara gordon <laughs> going from guy to guy yeah. you know i would rather her be alone and figuring herself out and developing that character than her being with somebody but she has been with luke for several issues so i feel like maybe it's in a stable relationship as for birds of prey i'm excited to see sort of the original if you can i mean i guess the original original would be Dinah and Barbara by themselves, but to see Helena there is pretty exciting. Yeah. And of course, the preview image had the Oracle symbol, and up until uh, maybe like six hours ago, <laughs> I thought that uh, this is going to be Frankie, because it's been teased so many times that Frankie like keeps coming up with this name that she wants, but every, someone cuts her off all the time, so I'm like, well, it's probably going to be Frankie. That's why I keep saying to people. And then we get this reveal that actually the first bad guy is going by the name of Oracle. In the news, it's clear that Barbara was Oracle at some time, so she this, of course, uh, rubs her the wrong way. But I don't understand what that's about. Maybe it's Calculator. I mean, that'd be a pretty cool right, first villain. Cool. But I don't yeah. – it's a little shocking, though, to have Oracle be synonymous with the word villain. But two female writers that write for the 100, so, I mean, that should be good. But I, I'm optimistic, I guess, about that. It's good to have a Birds of Prey team back. I just don't know about this. I was okay with it until the whole news came down that Oracle is a villain. So it's a big question mark. I mean, do you feel like you are knowledgeable and have any idea what the word rebirth means or what they're even doing? I know nothing. Emily and I talked about it. Uh, on a short box showcase and there's some titles that interest us some things that that intrigue us but a lot of it is a wait and see wait for the reviews to come Absolutely. in see what people yep. are saying yeah because they have kept it pretty well under wraps that may prove to be the right call on their part so all of our fingers are crossed yes and our toes <laughs> well let's take a break here play a promo and then we come back we're talking birds of prey number 39 Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't let them Star Wars, those dear and Star Wars, talking about Star Wars on a podcast. 
I'm Ryan Daly, and welcome to... And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Dude, what are you doing? What? Give me those Star Wars as my show. Well, you're part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, so it's really our show. But if you show up on the promo, people will think you're the co-host. I'm not? No, the show will have rotating guests. You just took that idea from my Justice League International podcast. You took that idea from my Secret Origins podcast. And you took that idea from Dead Both and Spies. That was my podcast. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I sang the theme song with you. So? So, technically, I appear on every episode. I'm part of the foundation of this new Star Wars show. That's... That's true. So, you want to take this from the top, or what? <sighs> I'm Ryan Daly. Join me and a galaxy of guest stars on Give Me Those... <clears throat> including the irredeemable shag whose voice you will technically hear on every episode on Give Me Those Star Wars. The official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we're back again. Birds of Prey, number 39, had a cover price of $2.50 meaning I acquired this book for a quite easy-to-compute 90% discount. I mean, even a Latin teacher could figure that out. If you were a Canadian, what would that discount be? I think it's still 90%. Because I don't think their numbers numbers are different. (laughs) I meant because it was 425 Canadian. Oh, but then this probably would have been 42 and a half. Okay, I see your point. Yeah, see? (laughs) Our cover... By Phil Noto, features a series of sketches all against a background of green blocks of varying size. We've got Black Canary as the main figure, Calabac and Blue Beetle, and then some miscellaneous four-eyed chick. Number one, hmm? her name is Barbara Gordon. That's that's what I meant. <laughs> Number miscellaneous four-eyed chick. Number two, according to the very back page, it says that this cover is titled Blocks of Story and Cheese. Did you read that? I did not. See, this is why I deserve to run this show. Oh, yeah, this month's cover, Blocks of Story and Cheese, was totally created by Phil Noto. Not bad for a guy who hates cheese. Okay, yes, well, uh, other than the cheese motif, what do you think Uh of the cover? Phil Noto, I think, does an amazing job. He's, He's done many Birds of Prey covers. But, yeah, this is great. And it's interesting because the gun, now that I'm looking at it, and after you read the story, because the gun is such a big, not a motif, but like a subject or theme throughout this particular issue, which is really interesting. Uh, I think it's beautiful. I think it's great. We're also told in a banner across Mm -hmm. the top of the cover that this is part five of the ongoing storyline, Bruce Wayne Murderer. Mm -hmm. And faithful listeners of the Quarterbin podcast will remember that way back in episode 14, we talked about part one of this storyline from Batman the Ten Cent Adventure. And that's one of the few books I've ever covered here that I paid above cover price for. Oh you know, sometimes I'll go through the 25-cent bins, and yeah. there will be prior years free comic book day books in there. And that's kind of funny. Do you ask for it for free? No, I don't buy them. But aren't they sort of ripping them off? <laughs> that's what I think, but mark up and all that, I guess. Before we talk about the details of this one, this uh-huh. is a situation you've probably run into before mm-hmm. covering Barbara Gordon because no, this is the middle chapter yeah. of a story. So probably uh-huh. that's happened in like Batman <laughs> Batman stories yeah. where Babs doesn't appear in every chapter. Yeah, and it's happening more frequently now because Oracle is really mm-hmm. – uh, she is – She's popping up in many stories. There you go. That's wonderful, yes. And, and so some of them will be like a random par four. And so occasionally I will be very gung-ho and say that I'm going to read this entire storyline. And other times I will not because I feel like it's not as relevant. But when I get to Bruce Wayne murder, because actually I've really been enjoying following Batman now and, and reading more of his storylines. So, for example, Contagion, she only appears in one part and it's in Asriel. But I actually feel like Contagion is a good story to potentially yeah. read to understand like more about Batman's character. So I'm going to read that whole thing. Sometimes it's hard. This one was not so much because I think overall you, you get a good sense of yeah. what's going on. Because if the issue is a good one, 
mm-hmm. you should still be able to pick up that issue and make sense of the storyline. You should, yeah. Yeah. So this story, The Gun, was written by the most excellent Chuck Dixon. Yeah. With art by Rick Leonardi, Rodney Ramos, and Jesse Delperdang. And this synopsis is based loosely on what I found at the DC Wikia page. So we start with Blue Beetle, not so confident about facing down the bigger, or least angrier, Calabac. Mm-hmm. But because he's a hero, he stops in the middle of the fight to rescue a little girl. But this heroic feat puts Blue Beetle right in the path of an oncoming car, and it crashes against him. But he saved the girl. And shortly thereafter, in Oracle's watchtower, he reports the events to Barbara, and she's worried about Ted's health. Age is catching up with him. Barbara schedules a medical appointment for Ted for the next day, and as soon as he leaves, Barbara gets a call from Black Canary. Babs tells her that they need to investigate the murder of Vesper Fairchild, which Bruce Wayne has been booked for. There's more to this than headlines, but she can't go into details. After denying that she has anything to do with Wayne at all, Barbara sends Dinah to Vesper's place to look for some clues. Ted Cord does go to the hospital, and it's not good news. His heart condition is critical. He may have already had multiple heart attacks. He must not do any activity more strenuous than watching TV. With that subplot accounted for, Black Canary gets into Vesper's place and finds it already turned upside down. She finds pictures of people with some weird codes on them, and the codes match some tape recording she finds, and Canary discovers that all the tapes are interviews that Fairchild did investigating Batman. Then, sweet, honest, former librarian Barbara Gordon has lied her way into Blackgate? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Stella. Uh-oh. Is she actually a lawyer? Is she actually one? She took a bar for kicks and giggles uh, okay. earlier on. Okay. during her, Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll but, let that pass. But she's not practicing, but she did take the bar just to see if she could pass it. Okay. Well, I should have known because librarians don't lie. <laughs> well, okay. I should have known that somehow she had some vague right to be there, claiming yeah. to be a lawyer. Okay. Now, Sasha is unwilling to cooperate, and Babs reveals that the gun used to kill Vesper belonged to Bruce Wayne. Na-na-na. Sasha didn't know this and claims that she and Bruce were together <clears throat> at the time of the murder. Nowhere near the crime scene. But they pretty much reach an impasse, let's say, and the two women part with um, unkind words for each other. Dinah contacts Barbara, tells her what she's found. The situation may be starting to make sense. She realizes that Vesper was investigating about Batman, and then she's killed at Wayne Manor with Bruce Wayne's gun. That's the gun that bothers everyone the most. Canary can't figure out what the connection is between Bruce and Batman. During the call, Black Canary spins around to attack someone who's sneaking up on her. It's Stephanie Brown. Spoiler. Spoilers. (laughs) She tells Dinah with Batman all disappeared that she's got nowhere else to go. All disappeared? Are you sure you're a professor? You know, I'm trying to be hip like the kids. (laughs) Sorry, like, like like the kids. Okay. So, Spoiler's going to hang out with Black Canary for a while. Mm-hmm. Babs isn't wild about this plan, but Dinah reminds her about a certain young heroine who also sought Black Canary as a role model. Then Spoiler is just really confused about who Canary is talking to. The end. Okay, Stella, big picture thoughts on the issue. Big picture thoughts. The ads... I, I <laughs> no, not kidding. to the ads yet. I know, I know, I know. They were so they distracted me though because I was like, oh, I remember that. I remember that video game. I remember that yes. movie. I I really liked this issue, and I think that you know, almost going in into it as a, a new reader because it's random, right? Thirty nine. I think it gave you a good sense of who the Birds of Prey are and what the book normally is about. Now, the Birds of Prey, the team shifts here and there, but really Barbara and Dinah are, are those the founding member members, and I think that this one really showcases the relationship, the fun that they can have, as well as sort of the field agent versus handler or, you know, the leader or the person behind the scenes relationship. And then you also get the, the relationship between 
Barbara and Bruce or Barbara and Batman, however you want to look at it. Um, it's not really out there. You know, it's, it's very subtle, but I think it's done very well that you can tell what their relationship is like. I think this would be very new reader friendly. Uh, there are certain aspects to it that are hard, like Vesper Fairchild, you know, who is that? Who's the woman that Barbara Gordon is visiting? And then, you know, why is Ted Cord, you know, what's going on there? There was like a maybe almost romance between Ted and Barbara. So I think, you know, if you were to say, no, this wouldn't be like the quintessential Birds of Prey to pick up to get a sense of it. But I think overall, it really did give an idea of what Chuck Dixon writing the Birds of Prey is like and what are the relationships like between the main characters. It was definitely, you know, one chapter of a longer story. Right. But. Specific plot points were advanced. Mm-hmm. There were character moments. There were subplots. So it it did all the things that an individual issue should do, mm-hmm. while also putting out some pretty you know, major elements of the bigger storyline. Mm-hmm. I think it succeeded on both of those tracks, I think. So do you have a, a few specific notes that you want to point out, a quick page by page? Not the ads. Not the, the ads. story. See, I like the beginning. I like this a nice mm-hmm. two-page spread yep. of Calabac versus Ted Cord, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of considering the rest of the issue, you sort of had to put an action scene in, right? You know, yeah, there is not anything fighty fighty in mm-hmm. the re- in the next eighteen pages, so mm-hmm. you had to put all that in right here. And I thought there was a nice moment in the art on page four. You may know it as the page opposite the Super Magic Series <laughs> ad. Yes. When Ted shoots out his grappler, mm-hmm. he sort of Spider-Mans himself to grab the girl. That's in the bottom panel, the bottom third of the page. But if you yep. look, his grappler shoots all, all the way up off, yeah. off the top of the page, mm-hmm. you know, past the top gutter even. So that yeah. was a nice little artistic touch. You know, you wonder on things like that, you know, is that in the script or mm-hmm. is that the artist just taking the chance on doing something mm-hmm. sort of cool and dramatic? But whoever came up with that idea, good job. Blue Beetle is clearly outmatched yes. against Calabac here, but you really get a sense of Ted's intelligence and his ability to think on his feet. And it's also great sort of the sense of humor that he has going along with it as well. Now, last time we talked over on your show, mm-hmm. we had quite a discussion about Babs's hair. We did. <laughs> it was a crazy bowl cut of some kind. Guess yeah. what do we think of her hair here, pages five and six? Mm-hmm. I kind of like it. Yes, a vast improvement indeed. Yeah, I think this is sort of what you come to know her as, I guess, some layers a little bit longer. It doesn't need to be page boy. There. And it was pretty red, too, the issue we read, right? Right. And this one was more auburn which and more realistic, I think. Right. There are a couple of, like, bad jokes in here, like, on purpose. Yes, yes. Like, she tells, don't have a coronary. Right. Is yeah. a joke in there. And then later on, there's a line of... Are you sitting down? Yeah, yeah Black Canary says it to her. Yeah. Are you sitting down? Yes. So, and I think those are either things that you would say without thinking. Mm-hmm. Or say, you know, just sort of as a, maybe as a little purposeful dig. I think, you know, in the beginning, you know, right after the killing joke, that Barbara would be very incensed at this. Right. But given her relationship with Dinah, I I can just see Barbara, like, rolling her eyes (laughs) at this sort of thing. So it's more, it's it's a fun moment. I also like the part with Dinah about wondering about why she is so interested Mm-hmm. In this Bruce Wayne story, because right, yep. we're you know we know the the connection, mm-hmm. but I, I always like it when there are characters in the story that don't know everything that we know as readers. And I sort of go back and forth because I was thinking about this: why isn't Donna in the inner circle of knowing? Why wouldn't Babs? tell her that but i think that goes so much or speaks so much to barbara gordon's high level of honor uh be- mm-hmm. because right. it's not her secret to tell you know however exactly. much they right. trust dinah she's going to trust dinah with her own secrets but not yes. somebody else's which i think it is again points to how strong of a character that barbara gordon is 
It's great to see these two face to face, though, because I just it took a long while for Dinah to know that Oracle was Barbara Gordon. Mm-hmm. So whenever I see them together, I think it's just great because before <laughs> it was just so separated. You know, one was talking through a through a headset. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a nice subtlety when we get back to Ted Court here mm-hmm. in, in the hospital, but this is a different doctor, which makes perfect sense. You know, he may have been sent from know the office to the hospital or to a specialist right. or something mm-hmm. you know but that's a there's a nice subtlety that is seeing a second you know sort of a second opinion or a yeah. second doctor and this guy on page 10 he definitely acts like a doctor like he is telling ted what to do and what not to do and he's mm-hmm. not taking any any guff from ted and i think yeah. that's the way doctors can be sometimes this guy's not worried about his bedside manner right now yeah. He's worried that Ted's got a heart problem and he can't be strenuous. So stop, stop. I think that particular part of of this issue may be the hardest to get into if you were only reading this, just because you will have no emotional connection right. between Ted and you don't know like the status of Barbara and Ted's relationship. But once you realize, you know, the end point of his, his character and and just the the journey of them, it's more. Uh, emotional, I think, you know, to read mm, right. these particular ones. See, I was just bringing, well, I know, you know, I know Ted as the Blue Beetle. Right. I was kind of trying to figure out, well, a beetle is sort of a bird, I guess. Sort um, of a bird. Maybe he's like, the, <laughs> he, maybe he's on the male adjunct team to uh, the birds. I, I, I see. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're teaching me that there's a deeper relationship there, yeah. here. Well, it won't be the last time, I guess I should say, that right. men are on the team. But mm. primarily, it's it's the girls, and then yeah. they sort of open up their little inner circle. I mean, a beetle, it's like a, it's, it's like a little bird. It's not a bird at all, sir. No, I said it's like. It's like a... <sighs> it's not like that at all! <sighs> I do love that he wears a blue shirt. I don't know if that's on purpose <laughs> yeah, or not. That's right. It reminds me of Smallville, where they would always dress Clark in, like, reds, reds right. and blues. <laughs> then we get some detective work by Dinah. Yeah, yep. I, I always like when the bat books of any kind, any character, mm-hmm. doing detective work. Yeah, it can't always be punching and super heroics. Yeah. And then we get a cat fight, na- name-calling, <laughs> two strong-willed lady-type people. And it's interesting because... Barbara knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Sasha knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman, but they can't let each other exactly. know that they know. And that's the whole problem because right. Sasha, anything, the only way she can help him is by revealing that. And so she's not going to say anything. So that points to some honor on her side as well. And that frustrates Barbara. So it, it's a very interesting, it's but a, again, that goes to you. dynamic there. Yes, yeah, but you kind of have to, again, know a little background to this particular story as well as Barbara Gordon and uh, but, it, but like the Ted Cord stuff, it's a tense scene anyway. Oh, absolutely, I mean, yeah. That just adds – that would add an extra layer to it, but it's not mm-hmm. necessary Yeah. to get that this is a tense scene. And then at the end, uh, she calls Barbara a witch, but I'm yeah. guessing it just rhymes with that. Just guessing. Do you think they could ever be friends outside of the jail? They've got that Batman thing in common, so yeah, that does put them in a small circle. Now, I, d- I have another hair question for you. Okay. This is page 17. We're back with Ted Cord. Second panel. Oh, no! Are you what the is doctor? happening to that doctor's hair? It's like he Uh-oh. has a bald spot, <laughs> but then there's a mullet over the bald spot. Look, oh. I have follicle issues, okay? Oh, gosh. I would never. My wife... Would never let my hair get to that stage. So I think that may have been like a coloring issue or like, because I think that the back part should at least come up because I think yeah. he's got a receding hairline, but it shouldn't go back. Like he looks like he could be someone from Apocalypse or something Yes. with that, because otherwise it looks normal. Like in the the bottom line, the, the middle panel, that looks okay. Exactly. But it's just the middle panel. <laughs> I mean, Ted's hair looks wonderful. He looks like someone straight out of a soap opera. Yes. He's got hair that makes me jealous. Now, we get Black Canary back doing detective work. And I mm-hmm. like these two pages, especially page 19. Sorry, the one opposite the Virtual Fighter 4. 
for your PlayStation 2. Oh, yeah. I'm lost without, (laughs) according to ads. I love the art on this page. Mm -hmm. I think Canary just looks so natural in these scenes, the way she's standing, talking on the phone, the angles, the way her legs are bent, and just the way she's standing and leaning. Mm -hmm. She's not in action. She's just on the phone, and she looks normal Mm -hmm. and realistic, especially, I think, on the bottom panel. Mm-hmm. Just it just looks it looks right. It looks human. Yeah, you almost expect her to be vulnerable because she she must think that clear. You know, it's a crime scene. No one else is going to go in there except for me. Right. But that's sort of her wrong thinking because yes. she's in there. Mm-hmm. So someone else could. But yeah, that that is interesting. I think she's got a, a false sense of security. Yeah, she's very casual. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about Stephanie Brown slash spoiler. The basic thing about spoiler is that she does wear all purple, so that's wonderful. She's trying her best to be a hero, but most often she gets in other people's ways. She has, like, good intentions, but she's just not well-trained. So I think that goes to the fact that on page 22, there's no ad there to um, focus you there. But, you know, she talks about her training, and so she really wants to do something, and I think Batman recognizes that it's dangerous if she's out there and not trained. Uh, But I don't know, like, you know, the full history. But I think that's her concern is that Batman's not been around and I need to work on my training. So I'm going to go with you there, Dinah. Congratulations. You're my new mentor. Yeah. I'm not sure, though, about if this is their first meeting or not. It seems like they know each other, but maybe not all that well. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know much about Stephanie. That's sort of Mm -hmm. she is a blind spot to me for the most part. Yeah. I love how she's super excited. I mean, she was caught, but she's super excited that she's been following her since Dinah left her apartment, which goes to another thing, because if Stephanie knows where Dinah lives, then I guess they do know each other. But yeah, so she was caught. But hey, I've been following you. You only caught me just now. I've been following you for a while. I was actually scratching my head as the Remember Oracle um, until you talked about it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's back row year one. Did you know that's what the reference was? No, no. Okay. Oh, there you go. Got it. Yeah. That is why I have experts on the show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because very early on when Dinah was already sort of in the hero business, she met up with Batgirl and they fought against Killer Moth and Firefly. So So Stella. Yes. The ads? (laughs) Other than the one on the back. The one on the back is pretty – it's got some pretty great timing to it, but – Oh, are, heavens, yeah. Are there other ones you want to mention first? When I first opened up and I saw Rollerball, I was like, I remember that movie. I don't remember if I've ever seen it, but I remember like the storyline and having those particular actors in it. Now, was... now, here's the part where I say, okay. I, re- I remember the original Rollerball. Oh, there was it was a remake? <sighs> Kids these <laughs> days. Are you being serious? Kids these days. Yes. <laughs> James Caan was in the original. I can't remember who else. Was it black and white? I'm not that old. <laughs> Just kidding. It's the early 70s. I have to say my favorite ad page, opposite page five, with the Disney Channel movies. I used to love these movies. They have Miracle in Wayne 2. Sorry, what's his name? Malcolm in the Middle. Yep. And they have Xenon the Sequel with Kirsten Storm. She went on to be on a soap opera. So and this is the part of the episode where I mention that, uh-huh. yes... I watched all of these <gasps> with my daughter. Your daughter! What is this, a 2002? So that would put Emily around 11, 12, 13. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I watched all these with her. That's exciting. Video game after video game after video game, ending with the yeah. awesome back page. Yeah. You pulled this one out of the, uh, the box. Out of the board, and what's the what are the first things you see? I see a shadow of Batman and a shadow of Superman, and it and it's got the word versus in between them. I should say silhouette rather than shadow. <laughs> and so when I pulled it out, when getting ready to read it, I thought I started laughing because, of course, the fifteen years Bat- ago. I know. <laughs> Batman versus Superman on Toonami. You're supposed to vote for your favorite. Oh, we could do that. We could have people just write in or on the Facebook to say who their favorite is because Batman fans and Superman fans, they're always very cordial with each other. Yeah. Okay, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we shouldn't unless we we have Kryptonite with us. Yes, but if we did, we could just throw it in the river. 
it was a um, oh, a like, sunken art gallery ish thing. Uh-huh. And then we could have the Lady of the Lake give us back the swords. Yeah. Any other points? Any important things <laughs> that we missed about this? Pretty good issue. You know, if you are a fan of Black Canary now, she's very different when we're reading with this. Her outfit is different. This is sort of the classic. Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say classic, but it's the one piece that's more of a, a blue and a black rather than the I do not see fishnets. Any, I do not see any fishnets in this outfit. I know, whatsoever. yes. So this is more tactical, and I think it makes sense. But, yeah, very different character now than this particular issue that we're reading. But other things to note, I think that's pretty much it. I think you get a good sense of, like I said, the relationships. I, I don't think this book necessarily always needs fight scenes. Yeah, I'm pretty out. sure that's why there, we had the four pages at the start at the that we had. Yes. Yeah. You're saying you disagree with me. Every issue needs to have I'm a not fight. saying it does, but I'm saying that's what the they, they that's what the yeah. they think. <laughs> the they think, yeah. So then the verdict. On Birds of Prey, 39. Well, guests and ladies first. Stella. Okay. Yes? Is this comic worth a quarter? I think it's worth cover price. Oh, man, that is bold. That is irrational. I and worth... I will not take that sort of language on this. Is that a thousand times more? Is that a thousand percent more than quarter price? It would is be a right? thousand percent or ten is that... times more. I was yes. able to Very do that, that using impressive. Roman numerals. Oh, see? I it think... all comes back to the dead languages. I gotcha. It's living. It was on in me. <laughs> to find this for 25 cents is a steal. And uh, I probably paid for some of the ones that I found just randomly in, in a bin. I probably paid for a dollar. So I'll let it go. Now, I agree. Sometimes you get these middle chapters mm-hmm. and things don't always happen. That's sort of famously the Doctor Who situation. In the old days, where you'd get to the fourth episode of the six-episode story, and it's just a lot of running and running and running down the same corridors over and over and over and over again. I've never seen Doctor Who. <sighs> but that sounds like a pretty boring episode if all you're doing is watching a man run. Exactly. <laughs> so, like I said, at least <laughs> stuff happens in this issue. Yeah. We learn about the investigation into Batman, that the Mm -hmm. gun was Bruce Wayne's, that Sasha ain't talking. Yep. We get a Ted Kord health update. Yep. Spoiler shows up at the end. Not a lot of that classic fighty-fighty stuff after the first few pages. But even without that, and I think that's what you were saying, even, even though we didn't have a fight scene for the last 17 or 18 pages, stuff happened. Absolutely. Yeah, the storyline is advanced. So, mm. a good, and that's really all that. Yeah, you're looking for, I'd say. Yeah, so a good chapter of a longer story, a definite quarter bin steal. So, Stella, thanks yes. for joining us. It was a treat having you here. And now, I, I know this is a lot to ask, but over there in the guest recording area, there's a can of Lysol. If you could just spray it around, I don't want future guests getting cooties. Why do you think I have them? I'm just – I don't know. I, we haven't had a girl on the show before. I don't know. You haven't had a girl on the show? That's terrible. Well, we've had Emily on, but that's on the Short Box Showcase. That doesn't count. So she doesn't count? Well, she hasn't been on the Quarterbin podcast. Okay. You know who else hasn't never been on the Quarterbin podcast? Um, Shag. Exactly. That's See, when it's you, all that, you'll need out. to bring out the um, – Oh, oof. The bleach we'll, need fum- for that. we'll need to fumigate, but – yeah. So uh, where can my lovely listeners find you in your podcasting efforts? And how lovely you are. Uh, well, you can find me at my own mutant growth hormone-free podcast known as Beckle the Oracle, the Barbara Garden Podcast. And that is over at the Batman Universe. And give a quick plug for the most recent five-hour extravaganza <laughs> that you just He's released. Spent- Yes, he says it's five hours, but it's really worth your time. It is probably, and I'm not just saying this, the most important episode that I will ever put out potentially uh, because it really is necessary for our day and age. It's called Minority Report. And the first 
three or so hours is a discussion between Donovan Morgan Grant and myself on diversity. The main question that I centered the episode around is, are minorities represented and presented well in the various forms of media like comics and films and TV? And so we talk about diversity, what our ideas are about it, how we can make it better. And then we analyze uh, two groups each uh, that we choose that we feel like we can either speak for personally or feel like we've got a good opinion on them. And then the last two hours, we actually had a call in of people that weren't just, you know, a white female and a black male uh, that could speak from their various experiences. So I, I think this is just an important thing. The world around us is changing. And I think what we read, what we watch needs to reflect our world. And we also need to treat different people with empathy and with love. And so this is where, where I go. So I really do encourage you to listen to it if only, you know, uh, the first couple hours, to, you know. To, I, mean, I would say let's do it maybe a, you know a half hour at a time over a couple a time, of weeks. Yeah, I, For I one thing, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna want to think about things. You're yeah, gonna want to yeah. digest what's mm-hmm. happening on that episode. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the the latest one. And normally, background oracle comes out once a month. If there is a special, it'll be two times a month. So because Minority Report is a special, there'll be a regular show. And then I'm also on the BatmanUniverse.net, the comic cast, and that's out twice a month where we review the latest Batman issues. And then I'm on with three other men. I'm always the only female for whatever reason on a podcast called the Comic Book Film Review, and we pick a film that's based off of a comic book and it could be in theaters now or it could be um an older one and we talk about it we review it so we just did batman versus superman and right before uh the one of my co-hosts chose ghost world which was from 2000 i think yeah so it, it goes back and forth depending on what's in theaters so those are the podcasts that i am on and where you can find me Well, very glad to have you over here on the Relatively Geeky Airways. Thank you so much for letting me come on. This was a lot of fun. I wasn't sure how it was going to go down because, you know, it was a random episode or a random issue. If anything Barbara Gordon related ever pops up again in the randomizer, (laughs) I I know who to call. Thank you. Yes. So that wraps up our coverage, our coverage. Our coverage of Birds of Prey number 39, bringing episode 72 of the Quarterbin podcast to a close. In episode 73, I don't know exactly what we're going to be covering, because next up, if all goes to plan, will be our annual episode. (gasps) Celebrating the official national holiday of the Quarterbin podcast, (gasps) Free Comic Book Day! Yay! So if you have any questions or comments about the issue, the episode, my choice and guests, feel free to contact me. <laughs> Are you assuming they're going to have negative feedback? It's going to be positive. I know. I can feel it. Okay. Until next episode. Bye, see- Professor Allen. <laughs> and I'll see you in the quarter bin. Oh. You know. Yeah? I want to fill out a teacher evaluation on you. <laughs> Do you spend 25 cents on your wife's wedding ring? You know, they say you're supposed to spend two months of your salary. And fortunately, I was unemployed at the time. Oh, my God. So it worked out perfectly. Well, I'm just taking the show over. See, what else happens is when I come on to a show secretly, I'm working out ways to, like, add it to my podcast network. See? See, I'm trying to figure out how to how to do this here. Hey, can I um no. there's a there's a stink bug in my <laughs> in my apartment and I don't like okay, that. Okay, yes. I just don't gonna, crush it. Don't crush up. it. No, I know the smell. I'm just gonna pick it up with an envelope and put it out, I'll be back. It should be like a minute. Don't hang on, it'll be okay. Don't be angry with me.
it took longer than expected, but I'm back. Well, do you want to sing fucking <laughs> I do not. Barbara schedules a medical appointment for dead. For, not for dead. That would be bad. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I think that's called a um, funeral home. Do people know who you are? When you go to a comic book store, do they just like know you're automatically going to go to the 25 cent bin? One of the stores just has 25 cent sales every now and then. Mm-hmm. So I go in there. One of the other stores has dedicated 25 cent boxes, and I feel bad because that's about all I ever buy from them. Mm-hmm. I just think like one new comic book day, I should just go up there and get some full price books, and then go through the 25 cent bins. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is, my wife thinks every comic I buy, I pay 25 cents for. So you could buy a trade paperback, and she'd be like, oh, honey, what a steal. I know. Have you ever thought about wearing a toupee? No. (laughs) Or you you could, like, have different colors. It could match your outfits. I had blue hair one day. One day? I lost a bet to a student. Let's leave it at that, okay? Uh, (laughs) Okay. You've lost bets to students before, I'm sure, and have colored your hair. Not colored hair. Okay, well, there you go. (sighs) We're almost to the ads, okay? Okay. Are you bored with me already? (laughs) Now, no. Uh, My personal favorite would probably be anything with Zac Efron. He's dreamy. You're saying you're a a fan of High School Musical. Uh, High School Musical 2. Actually, I think okay. it's bad, a little bit better. Is no, I don't know any of this stuff. How would I know this? You like that song where he's on the golf course? <sighs> bet on it, bet on it, you know? Bet on bet on You know, that's probably your alarm in the morning to get you up. Us, are you Venom? Is it what, huh? <laughs> you said, thanks for joining us. And I said, are you Venom? Cause you always, exactly. But you did explain at the top of the um, five hours ago that whenever you say we, it's uh, you and then all your stuff. Stacks and stacks of quarters. Yeah, gold quarters, that's what it is. Yeah.